Um, so I thought that I would share some things that have been really helpful for me on retreat. So I've sat quite a few retreats, and just to normalize things for you guys a little bit, day three is really hard. Day one is hard. Day two is hard. <laughs> day three is hard. And they're all hard in different ways. And maybe, it's, maybe hard isn't even the word. Maybe it's just uncomfortable or difficult or uneasy. Sometimes really, really hard. And I'm not going to sort of spark any expectation because I really feel like expectation is sort of like premeditated resentment. And then back to, back to Marv, then you'll hate the teacher. <laughs> but, you know, as, sort of as the, the stillness sets in a little bit more, the mind starts to settle right around day four. There might start to be a little cruising. So I'm really, really in awe of you guys for sticking through this because never. Do you want to know where I was when I was your age? (laughs) I was a high school dropout. I was probably living on the streets right now. I'd been incarcerated twice. There were some drugs involved. Um, I was a fighter. I used to love to get in fights. Um, What else? Stole a car or two. You know, there was some stuff going on when I was your age. (laughs) My parents really didn't like me, like, so much so that they thought I should not live anywhere near them. You know, so so things things were pretty tough when I was your age. So the fact that you guys are sitting here, like, I have so... Like all over the place. I have so much respect for you. And uh, I know that we can, we can lose sight of where we are when we get stuck in our heads and confused and, and things get kind of overwhelming. But just to give some perspective on what you're doing and who you're with, who has been having a difficult few days? Okay, so just look around, just look around the room. Like everybody turn your head, look around, keep your hands up if it's true for you. So you're not alone. You are totally not alone. And maybe everybody has a different flavor. Right? We definitely all have a different flavor of struggle and suffering and pain. But it's very, very human and very normal. Okay? I just need to say that. And I am one of those people who claims Buddhism. Right? Like, I'm going to just say that. (laughs) And I really like it for a reason. And I like it for many reasons. I told you I was going to say that like every time I started to talk. (laughs) So here are some more of the reasons. Some of the reasons are I tend to be kind of a spacey, floaty person in my head. And, you know, I'm not, whatever. We'll just leave it at that. There's something about lists that are given in the practice of Buddhism and in the texts of Buddhism and in the teachings of Buddhism that have been really, really helpful to me. Lists and formulas and 
patterns and ways of lying things out that make my mind feel like it has something to do and something to point at and something to focus on and something to follow. And it's really important for a mind like mine. Very important. And I think it's probably important for a lot of people because it it actually has been really helpful. So that thing like the precepts, there's five precepts, right? And so I know that there's five of them. And so that helps me remember, I'm not going to cause harm. I'm not going to take anything that's not freely given. I'm not going to be you know, unwise with my sexuality. sexuality. Sorry, my mouth's really dry. I'm a little bit sick. Um, I'm not going to use speech unwisely. And I'm going to use intoxicants wisely, right? Or not at all on this retreat. So that list of five really helps me. Like, I know there's five. If I forget one, like, I know there's five. And then there's some patterns, like I said, that really help me. So I want to share some of those with you. One of the ones that I want to share with you is called the Four Noble Truths. Have you guys heard of the Four Noble Truths? Okay, so I'm just going to say the Four Noble Truths. I'm not going to really get into them, but I'm going to tell you how my mind works with the Four Noble Truths. So the Four Noble Truths, the first one is that suffering is real. It's called dukkha, that suffering exists. That word dukkha can be translated in different ways. The word suffering sometimes sounds a little too big, but it can just be something like uneasiness, discomfort, right? Just something just isn't feeling right. Do you ever have those days when you wake up and there's nothing really wrong, but you just don't feel quite right either? That would be dukkha. The second noble truth is the cause of dukkha, which is called um, tanha or clinging. Some people want to put the word craving in there. We don't need to get into that. But what it means is, what it's saying is the reason that we suffer, the reason that the first noble truth exists is because we want something to be different than it actually is. Right, so something uncomfortable is happening. A lot of like what Matthew was pointing to this morning. I really liked what he was pointing to about this thing, this happiness that we are effortfully, consistently looking to fulfill, which isn't actually realistic. So we spend all this time trying to reach for and chase and cling and follow something that actually isn't possible. And that is what causes said suffering. So there's suffering, the cause of suffering. And then what the teachings of the Buddha say is there is a way out of that suffering. So it's the cessation of suffering is possible. That's the one I like. (laughs) Right? There's a way out, we're told. So we suffer because we want things to be different than they actually are. And there's a way out. So the two that I want to talk about the most is the first one, which is this suffering thing. And then the last one, the way out. The last one that leads to the way out. So the last one is the fourth noble truth, which is the eightfold path. And I'm not going to get totally into the eightfold path, but the eightfold path basically lays out in a in the most kick-ass of ways that we can work on ourselves and work on our path towards liberation. One of those is this this precepts, this ethical practice that we're working on. But first I want to talk about the first noble truth. 
And so how I like to word the first noble truth and the fourth noble truth in my mind is, what can I control and what can't I control? So first noble truth for me sort of goes into the what, what can't I control um, category. So maybe you guys can name a few things that we really can't control. What are the, some of the things we can't control? Yes. Others, people's behavior. Maybe we can influence but not control. Absolutely. <laughs> Cannot control other people. Can't do it. How hard do you try? How hard? Really, really, really hard, huh? <laughs> okay. So that's like a lot of energy spent doing something that we can't do. What else? I'm going to talk about that one, okay? Because that's a really interesting one. Okay, it's a good one. That's, that's kind of my pivot point, the tipping point. But good, thank you. Yeah. Where we come from. Where we come from. Like, what do you mean? Tell me more about that. Yep. Yep. So like heredity or that kind of thing. Absolutely. Your hair color, your height, your skin color, those kind of things, right? Can't control it. Thank you. Nature. Nature. Yeah. So say more about that. Like natural disasters or. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Yeah. I'm. You know, it's interesting. It. When the Buddha wrote about this, or in the teachings back when. But I'm wondering now, sometimes I think about global warming and um, how actually humans are kind of controlling that in a way now. But you're right, like, let's say, like, germination of plants and birth of animals and, you know, those kind of things. Certainly, there's, there's definitely things about nature, you know, the planets that are totally out of our control. Uh-huh. Illness. Illness. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Death. That's a big one. Yeah. Did you have your hand up? Oh, no. <laughs> Did you want to have your hand up? <laughs> yeah. Aging. Aging. Thank you. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. How many of us in the... <laughs> yeah. Can't control it. Promise you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll come back to that one too. It's a good one. This is this is this is the the good point. This is where practice comes in. Yes. Our identity. So tell me more about that. Um, sometimes our identity is affected from where we come from and who we're surrounded by, and sometimes there seems to be no reason why we think of ourselves a certain way. Sure. Thank you. Did I say hand over there? Yeah. Our past. Our past. Yes. Can't control it, can we? But we sure try, don't we? How much do we think about it? How many conversations have you had in this? I don't know. I might be talking about myself. But I will have conversations over and over and over and over and over again trying to rewrite my history. Like with somebody that just didn't get me, right? I try to rewrite my history in conversations all the time in the past. Yes, we can't. Who else? There's so many. Yeah. Um, in many ways, our future. <coughs> yeah. And that's one we'll talk about, too. One of the ones I like, a, a friend of mine does this, one of my Dharma teacher friends. So gravity, right? We can't control gravity. So, like, it's, it's in this way. I love, I love this when 
as a sort of little thing. It's like, what's going to happen if I open my hand? Ball's going to fall. It's going to fall, right? We just know that. Like, we know that's going to happen. We don't argue it. It's not like we go, okay, I'm going to pray really hard. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do everything I can. Please, 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 just for me, just today, please don't fall. And it's like, that's futile, isn't it? Because if I open my hand, it's still going to fall. So why I'm talking about, let me see if there's some other things. So we said other people, aging, death, oh God, eyesight. <laughs> goes with aging, doesn't it? Heredity. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about what's served here for lunch? <laughs> Can't control that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, relativity, polarity, rhythm, um, the past, huh? Relativity. Yeah. Are you going to tell me I'm wrong? No. Oh, okay. I was willing to be wrong, like the theory of relativity. I just wrote some things down that are sort of like natural laws, you know, some things that are just natural laws. Yeah. So I've been thinking, I'm not sure, like, if I'm right in this, but it feels like we can't really control, like, like feeling emotions. Like, we can control our reactions, but, like, mm-hmm. just, like, things that come up, like, our emotional responses to, to things. Great. Okay, so let me finish this, and then we'll tip over into sort of what the three of you, your little triumvirate, sort of touched on. Uh, so these things that we can't control, right? If we really look at them and if we really do think about how much time we waste on trying to, you know, I mean, death is a hard one. Death is a big one, isn't it? And it, it's, it's tragic and it causes a lot of pain and suffering and it's one of those things that we can't control, Right? Aging, can't control it. Other people can't control them. So what would it be like? So sort of what the, what the teachings of the Buddha are proposing is that if we really understood the things that we couldn't control, like really got it and let go of even trying, so the second noble truth means that we're holding on to those things that we can't control so tight and trying everything not to let them happen. And that's what's causing our suffering. Yet we do it all the time. The proposal for full liberation. Now, this is big stuff, right? Like I'm talking about ultimate liberation, which I don't, I don't know, you know, who knows. But the proposal is if we can actually really understand that we can't control those things, a lot of our suffering is alleviated. It doesn't mean they're not going to happen. They're going to happen. But if we have a deep understanding that they are, that that's where a lot of relief comes. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel it. So this comes over to the tipping point that I was talking to you guys about, the things, what can I control? So... You asked about thoughts and emotions, those sort of things. So coming in, right, our, we have something called the senses. Right? You guys know about our senses. 
We typically know about five of them, which are... Go for it. Whatever, you guys got them, right? <laughs> they were covered. And then in our practice, the mind or the intellect is included as a sense door. So what that means is these things, stuff is just coming in, right? We have objects in front of us, whatever the object is. When Matthew talked about sight, so you're, a star is the object, the eyes are seeing the star, and there's a contact point, right? That is happening. There's contact. Seeing happens. Hearing happens. Now, obviously, there are people that have impediments to that, so then there would be, there would be a, a different experience, sensory. But if that wasn't there, seeing happens, hearing happens, smelling happens. We don't have to make it happen. We don't have to reach out to make it happen. It just happens. Our eyes are open and we're seeing. Our ears hear. Our mouth tastes. Our nose smells. And our mind thinks. Right? So that's that question you were bringing up. Yes, thoughts are going to come in. Now, this is where we get to say, well, what can I control? We know those thoughts are just going to come in. And then the next part of the process that happens, so here's this object, here's this thing. Let's say, okay, let's say you have a crush on somebody, right? And so, and here's your brain. And then all you have to do, that person, if that person just walked in the door, like imagine that person walking in the door. What's the brain going to do? <laughs> so all it took was, and it's that fast. <laughs> Ooh, it's that fast, right? Your heart might drop. Your mouth might get dry. You might get super nervous or excited or whatever. Like all that stuff's going to happen in your body. Just from seeing a person. So eyes are seeing an object. That's all that's actually happening. Eyes see, and there's an object. We put a lot on that object, though, don't we? A lot on that object. So let's just like pull the picture together a little bit. There's the object. Here's the sight. And there's obviously a mind in here. So this is what's happening. Ah. And then <laughs> there's this contact point. This, the seeing meets the object. Right here, we call it contact. I'm slowing this down for you guys so that when you're practicing, you can kind of check out how bizarre it is, how this works, right? I think it's bizarre anyway. This is what I do on retreat. I trip out on the process of the mind. This is just the mind at work. One of the cool things about the Buddha, or I think, is that like he didn't go, I'm going to start a religion. He kind of had this thing like, he really, was a really pragmatic dude as far as I can tell. And he just was like really tweaky on the mind and wanted to figure stuff out. And so he went, oh yeah, there's an object. Whatever the object is, whether it's food, whether it's a person, whether it's, you know, we talked about pets, or whether it's a thought, a thought can be considered an object, there's a contact point. At that contact point, we have an instant, what we call, feeling. It's not an emotion feeling, it's, we call it vedna. But it's, uh, we either think it's 
pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Instantly happens. So that crush, we're assuming it's pleasant. Or it could be unpleasant, right? Like unrequited love really sucks. So it's like that, you know, so that could be messy. But let's say it's pleasant. <laughs> right away, what happens? What happens when you really like something? You want it. You want it. You want it bad, huh? <laughs> Especially if it's, ooh. <laughs> so that's pleasant. You want it. And then what happens when you want something? Right. Because you can't only want, you can't, you like, you want it so bad. You want to like, ah, and you want to hold on to it forever and never let go. Even once you have it, it's not enough. Ever. Once you have it, then you're like, well, how am I going to hold on to it longer? And how can I make sure that, you know, so it's like, we don't have it and it's suffering. We have it and it's suffering. Great. <laughs> so this is a really interesting point, isn't it? From the eyes, eyes just seeing an object and then suddenly we're suffering and it's that fast. So where do you think in our practice we can play with that? What sort of prescribed is, especially on retreat, it's a really fun thing. Like, it's fun. It's fun. Check it out and try to have fun with it. Notice right when you hear something. Let's say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use you as an example, Quetzal. I know that she's in a dorm that has a really loud heater, and it bangs all night, right? So in reality, it's just, it's sound, Hearing is all it is. But that hearing is keeping her up at night, and it means that this place's heat is kind of whack, and like there's this whole thought process, this proliferation that goes on, right? Usually when we come into contact with something, we've had a previous experience, and it tells us we either like it or we don't like it. So let's say you have something with an. Let's say you come into contact with something totally neutral, something you don't care about at all. What do you typically do? Not think about it. Yeah, we just walk on by, huh? We ignore it. It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't capture us, and so it's not really very weighted. And so what I like to do on retreat is I like to play with this pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, because that's the sort of, that's the fork in the road. From this little fork in the road is where we make a lot of choices. Because if we don't like it, you know, if we don't like a person, I mean, how many times will you see somebody and go, oh, I'm turning that way, right? Like, (laughs) I'm going to avoid that. Or even the food. Who's a little bit homesick here? Anybody? Yeah. So there's something for me about food and homesickness. (laughs) You know, it's sort of like, oh, you know, (laughs) if I was home, what would I be eating now? (laughs) So maybe instantly you see the scrambled eggs again. Or the Rice Krispies again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I making you more harmsick? But I'm just trying, I'm proving a point here, right? <laughs> Too hard, maybe. But the, huh? Did you see Rice Krispies? I thought I saw Rice Krispies the other day. 
Sunday. Oh, not the treats. I didn't say Rice Krispie treats. I just said Rice Krispies. <laughs> anyway, the point being, the point being like how instantly can just seeing a food that maybe we don't like can create this whole emotion and this whole thought and this longing, right? I mean, it's kind of wild, this proliferation of thought. Something I wanted to say about that, and I forgot what it was. Oh, I know what it was. There's this scientist, and maybe, maybe it's wrong. Maybe there's new science now. But there was this scientist. Her name is Jill Bolte-Taylor. See, that just makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about when I use a name. Oh, you know her? Oh, cool. Is that your mom? <laughs> so she, she did, says that emotions only last 90 seconds. Is that still true, Matthew? <laughs> Marv? Well, I don't know. Okay. So that's what she, that's what she says, right? That's what she says. <laughs> um, so if you think about that, an emotion only lasts 90 seconds. How long do you feel like you've been steeping in certain emotions since you've been here? Days, right? So an emotion neurologically only lasts 90 seconds. Okay. So I know I'm just letting that sink in. So, okay, so this is how my juvenile mind has, has made sense of this. So it's the, it's the thoughts Right, so the emotion has a lifespan, but what keeps it going is the thought process that picks it up, right? We were ha- I was having a conversation with a few people today, and I was talking about dating, and I, I, met, I said, you know how I'm 50, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to be alone at 50, right? So I'm shoo, glad I have a boyfriend. And the, <laughs> and the girls looked over, and they were like, oh, no, don't say that. We feel hopeless, right? <laughs> so... So it's like, let's, so let's use loneliness as an example. It's like loneliness. You can have a feeling of loneliness. And instantly it turns into a future of like empty nest and no love ever and being an old lady with no, you know what I mean? It's like suddenly you're, you're like retiring and you're alone. Just from like <laughs> one little 90-second feeling of loneliness, Right? And so what we do is that storytelling, that mind picking it up and taking the story and running with it. To me, it's kind of like a skateboard. You know how like to keep the skateboard going? If you just kick it once, it's going to roll itself out and it's going to stop. But if you keep kicking it and kicking it and kicking it, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going. As long as you feed it, it's going to keep going. Right? And so that's kind of how an emotion, like when I heard that, I went, wow, that's in my control. I get, to, I get to say, oh, I'm going to maybe reroute. I'm going to reroute that thought. We talked about this earlier. I'm going to, I have a, I actually do have a choice. My mind is really used to doing it this one way because it's been doing it this one way for a really long time. And that's the habituation that the mind has gotten used to. Just like some of you beautiful pianists out there. You didn't know how to play a piano like that when you were, you know, maybe very young you did, but it took time, right? Those fingers didn't always know how to do that. So then it's a habit. You're probably not going to unlearn that. 
We do the same with our thoughts and our emotions. We habitually use the same thoughts and emotions. What we're doing in our work here, and I have two minutes to tell you, is (laughs) we are rerouting those habits through the effort of our mindfulness. And like that practice, that this metta practice, if we are cultivating what's wholesome and good, what actually turning the page, we actually can control these thoughts and emotions. They're going to come. They're going to arise. But how are we going to reroute? How are we going to give ourselves a chance? Now, it's not easy when we don't have a, you know, those of you that have ever built trails, you know, Lawrence, you've probably built trails. Not easy. You have weeds to pull. You have, like, trees to move. There's all kinds of stuff that needs to happen, right? All kinds. I didn't want to say chop them down because we don't chop down trees, right? No. So, you know, there's all kinds of clearing that needs to happen. We're clearing through all this old shit that's been there. But with effort, we can do it. I promise you. I told you who I was as a teenager. I promise you. I don't sell cars anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I don't sell drugs anymore. I don't, I'm not home. Like, there's a lot about my life now that's amazing. Like, I, can't, I almost can't believe I'm who I am. I can't believe it. And I'm attributing a lot of it to my diligence in this practice. Because it's not, I'm not going to lie and say it's an easy practice. It's not. But it's also not an impossible practice. And so I want to encourage you. One of my peer teachers, um, he says, I love you. Keep going. I love you. George Haas. Woo! I love you. Keep going. And this is just the encouragement that this practice works. But you have to do it. And, you know, so play with that, uh, you know, when you hear something, when you see something, when you taste something, when you're eating, really look at your plate and chew the food and notice liking, not liking, neutral. Really simple. Liking, not liking, neutral. What happens when you really like? What happens when you don't? What do you tend to do? Right? Did I see your hand? No? Uh, I was just going to ask what... Does, does the really liking cause suffering too? But then I thought about the, having the crush on someone and really liking them yeah. causing suffering. Yeah, so it's, that, it's that, holding, that holding on tight thing, right? That clinging, that craving, which is the second noble truth that causes more suffering. So I would love to talk about this some more, my favorite topic. And I'm actually doing the early morning instructions, so maybe I'll add it in a little bit more into that. If you want to ask me a question, you know, walking around, that's cool too. Um, I don't want to make us late because then that leads to that. But, you know, then the whole cause and effect thing happens. I do? Oh, how much? Oh, oh, I'm ahead of myself. I thought it was 9 o'clock. Okay, awesome. So, um, hand. Hi. 17 years. Yeah, but it started working a lot quicker than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, by rewriting thoughts, um, you mean kind of like changing our reactions to those judgments that we make? 
right? Yeah, okay, so let's say, give me an example. Give me an example. Tell me an incessant habitual thought you have. You know, just for fun. Amongst close friends. Amongst close friends. I'm kidding. Just, you know, it's just. Okay, good one. Okay, so why is so and so so annoying? Stupid. I hate them. Okay, so you have an opinion. (laughs) Okay. So so let's just say you just saw that person as a face, two ears, two eyes, a nose, right? Just a form. They're a form. They happen to have a mind and and your ears hear what they have to say. So that's like that's that part I'm talking about. Because then what happens is the judgment, our, our perceptual judgment, and now you have preconceived judgment about this person, right? So what's fun about retreat and then what helps us later to deal with people that we don't get along with is that we can play with maybe the simpler things, the slight dislikes, and sort of notice how the... Um, if we just see something as it is on contact, and we can notice, oh, I don't like that, right? When it's something lightweight, we can just notice, oh, I don't like that. And what starts to happen is we can, it's okay just not to like something. It doesn't have to ruin our lives because that person right now is affecting your internal world, right? And so you can just not like that person. It might affect you, but it doesn't have to. And you can know you don't like that person. But what would it be like to go, I don't like that person, and be able to walk away and continue on? So if we really are paying close attention to what then happens next, which is the idea of clinging and craving, which means, and I want them to be different. I don't like them, and I want them to be different so that I can feel good. Right? And unfortunately, we don't get to do that. Because there's be all kinds of things that we would be changing. Yeah. Um, I understand that, like, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't control the people, you can't control the external world, I guess, but, like, we can choose to, we can choose to walk away. Right? Absolutely. We can choose to place ourselves in the world to some extent. Absolutely, um, it, yeah. This isn't very well thought out, but I just want to. Uh, maybe I'm asking the same question over and over again in different ways. Well, let's see. Let's see if some other hands maybe have some clarifying questions around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a clarifying question. Um, I just kind of made my brain one thing clear answer. And um, so, like, would you say this choice you've been talking about in the in the paths, you know, the kind of fork in the road, is like to kind of indulge in the story mm-hmm. versus like? Can you just kind of like talk about like no no examples, just like essential? Like, there's the story, and then there's like what what's the other option? Just like notice it, and move on. I guess? Yeah. No. 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 Good. That's a good question. So what I do is I experience the sensation that's created in my body 
instead of the story. The story is going to perpetuate some kind of myth anyway, right? Because I'm, write, I'm writing the story in my brain, so it's not even necessarily true. Like, I had a loneliness story for a long time. Loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. So for me, what did that turn into? Promiscuity. Like, I'm going to feed this monster, right? I'm just going to, I'm not going to be alone ever. I'm just going to have all kinds of relationships, and I'm going to have all kinds of sex, and that's what I'm going to do, and, and I'm going to feel better. And do you think I felt better ever? Never. And what it actually did was it created more harm. I was miserable. I was hurting myself. I was being hurt. I was, you know, so the thing that I was trying to alleviate through this alternate source, trying to perpetuate the story, ended up just hurting, causing me more and more and more harm. So if we can... So what I did when I realized that I was doing this was instead of having to like try to feed the monster, the craving, the clinging, was allow myself to really check into that loneliness and experience the loneliness. And I have to tell you, I was amazed at how fast it went away. It was sort of like, you know, when you think there's a monster under the bed and it's really just a stuffed animal, you know, it's sort of like that. Sometimes it can just feel so much bigger than it really is. And if we really allow it, if we really allow ourselves to see what it truly is, all it was was an empty feeling in my belly, an empty feeling, a sadness in my heart. Through my practice, I learned how to trust that I could hold that. I trust it. I can trust, I trust now that I can hold a lot. And it's because of my practice. So loneliness, come get me. You know, it's sort of like, oh, That's that sensation. That's that feeling. Now, there's some things that are unbearable to hold in that way. And so that's when we would use another skillful means, which would maybe be a metta practice or a compassion practice. So it's not like, it's not about avoiding, it's about rerouting. And the rerouting is to, like, in your example, is to, like, you know, how is it affecting my body? Yeah. yeah, what is, what is loneliness? Because I was making loneliness be this big story in my head which had actions to it that were way causing way more harm than actually just feeling the sensation in my belly. Yeah. So I get the, the whole point about not letting yourself be distressed by things you can't control. But what about um, when it's like a matter of things that are a choice to you? Like whether you're deciding... Making, like when the anxiety and distress comes from something that is relating to a choice in your life or something that you have power over, you know, like, for example, like if you want to stay with someone who you're dating who you don't think is good for you, mm-hmm. if you want to like move to a different place and you're really on the fence about it, mm-hmm. and that's what's causing all the like anguish, mm-hmm. and just bad feelings. Well, Matthew kind of brought this up today, when we really build stability in our practice and stop thinking that the mind is making answers for us, when we build this stability, there's a depth of wisdom that comes with this level of trust that I was talking about. We start to be able to hold a different relationship to answers. 
Because sometimes it's just like there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And I know it and my whole world's going to be shattered if I don't pick the right one, right? And we get into this sort of fixed state around decisions. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's more fluid than that. And what starts to happen when we can hold the discomfort, because a lot of times we feel like if we have to make decisions because we're uncomfortable. If we learn how to really just sort of hold the discomfort a little bit of indecision, it's okay to not know sometimes, and we think we have to know all the time. Holding that, building the capacity to have a little more wisdom. And then we get to make choices and, and decisions out of that place which is a really different place than sort of a, a wobbly, confused place. What do, you, what do you mean by that? How is it different? Um, because the, the decision actually is less important than the experience. So, I mean, it's really, I mean, I feel like I'm sort of saying what uh, he was saying this morning um, I, I, it's, it's sort of hard for me to deal with the abstract in this, in this um, line of questioning. Um, so I don't really want to give you a vague answer, too. It, feels, it doesn't feel good to me, you know? Um, you're in my group, so can we talk about it maybe there? Yeah. Would that be okay? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, this is sort of in response to that, but just my own thoughts on it um, are like often when when you're feeling really indecisive and stuff, um, like using that like mindfulness and meditation as a tool and stuff, and just being um, like sort of more okay with your current state and stuff. I've noticed that that helps me feel calmer. And then from a calmer state, I can also see, like, I think I think we were talking about this earlier at a different in a different conversation, but like the idea of whether I go this way or this way or whether this happens to me or this happens to me, like I'll be okay either way, mm-hmm. and one thing is not the end all. Um, so like, have being in that calmer state and stuff, I'm able to make a decision, um, knowing that it's not going to be the end of the world if it's the wrong, wrong choice. And that um, either one is like, I'll be okay because I have that like calm state as a tool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And again, it's when we, when we get back to what I'm talking about, it's really slowing things down and not needing to get so caught up in the flurry of the mind. Let's just take one more. Yeah. So when we um, like can't like calm calm down and kind of like check into the emotion that we're like feeling and realize like it for what it is, and we want to like reroute. Um, is does that reroute mean like like taking up like a hobby, like making art or like doing activity or like talking to someone? Um, I I was just like trying to think of like. Because, like, an example for me is, like, if I'm feeling, like, really sad, I can kind of get in a spiral of what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And it just goes, like, deeper and deeper of time and time. And so I was wondering when, like, when we're unable to look at it for, like, ourselves, is it, like, 
I guess it's kind of like reaching out to other people. Sure. You know, this is kind of a very question. No, it's it's no, it's good. I mean, these are important questions for sure. Um, and I feel like the I want to try to stick a little bit with the top the the experience that I'm hoping you guys can see with the smaller, sort of like the smaller experience, because um, of 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 direct contact with an object, right? So when you're talking about the mind spinning out, I'm assuming that story, right? Getting caught in this story, which is the pl- proliferation. And there was one thing that happened. There was a thought that arose in your mind, and you latched onto it. And so that is the point. If we can spend time with that, just saying, oh, that is a, it's a thought. It's a thought, and it created this unpleasant feeling in me. I don't like it. And then what would happen if you, if you recognize that? Well, I think if like, you recognize it, you kind of like, even, even with the recon, uh, recognition, it still like, is pretty painful. For sure. Yeah, so we're not saying it's not, right? So we're recognizing that there's pain, right? And then that's where, and I like what you said, that's where you make a wise other choice. So if that does mean calling a friend... If that does mean you had a few suggestions, going for a walk, whatever your thing is, if we need to use that to reroute, certainly. But the, what I'm just pointing out here for you guys to sort of play with while on retreat is seeing if you can catch experiences as they're happening. Those little, tiny noticings. Moment to moment. Even the, the tiniest thing, like when you stand up, Noticing, is it pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? When you walk out and hit the cool air, for some people it's going to be pleasant, for some people it's going to be unpleasant, for some people it's going to be neutral. And that could change from time to time. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral is not inherent in the object. It depends upon who we are when we're looking at it. Does that make sense? I mean, this is, and, and so I'm, I'm really trying to pull you guys back to still being on retreat instead of leaving yet so that you can play with these things while you're here and get a little sort of like water under, you know, little foundation under your, your feet so that you have something a little more stable when you leave. So this is sometimes when we move too far forward is, is part of the, we do that a lot. You know, we go out there a lot. And so I'm encouraging you to really stay here and work on these little tiny things that can really be very, very helpful. Very helpful. Work on the little things now while you're here so that when the bigger things come, which we know they do, we have some skill. And we've built that muscle a little bit. Okay? Thank you. I don't mean to brush you off. I just really want you to like you guys to do this while you're here. Okay. All right. Uh, now it's time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. This is a really fun thing to talk about for me. Um, so thank you for listening and enjoy walking. And I know there's time. We're really trying to stay on time. So 930 at your 
snack now, 9.30 at our small groups, and then back in here by 10.30. Okay, thank you. (laughs)